ora. I'm Laura Clark, the British High Commissioner to New Zealand. Welcome to another episode of Tea with the High Commission, the British High Commission's podcast, where we interview a range of interesting people talking about anything and everything, and in the process discover the great connections between the UK and New Zealand. Kia ora. My name is Paris Goddard, and I'm a diplomat at the British High Commission in Wellington. Welcome to our podcast, Tea with the High Commission. I'm joined today by New Zealand international footballer Chris Wood. Chris moved to the UK in 2009 at the age of 17 to play for West Bromwich Albion and has played his club football in England ever since. He currently plays as a striker for Newcastle, having been signed by them in January for £25 million. Chris made his debut for the senior New Zealand team at 17, around the time he moved to the UK, and he represented his country at the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. Fast forward 13 years, and Chris is now the national vice-captain has captained New Zealand on a number of occasions and is currently the record goal scorer for the men's team, 33 goals and counting. We're recording this a few days ahead of New Zealand taking on Costa Rica in Doha, Qatar. The winner will qualify for World Cup being held in Qatar this November. If they qualify, it will be New Zealand's third ever World Cup and Chris's second. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here today. Uh, cheers. Thanks for having me. I've got to ask, because the, the podcast is called Team of the High Commission, do you have any tea with you? <laughs> um, I, well, they have, they have a selection of everything over here, but I don't personally take anything away with me. Um, although, to be fair, every night there is always a, a mug of tea sitting, uh, sitting beside the, the coffee table ready for it. Um, me and the missus uh, always have one probably around about nine o'clock. Nice. Um, it's about nine o'clock here in New Zealand. I've got uh, jasmine tea, so make sure I uh, don't stay up all night. Ah, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> so... The World Cup normally takes place June, July time, but this year's tournament has been moved to November, December because it's so hot in Qatar. But you're out there at the moment in the middle of June about to play a crucial game. What's it like? How hot is it? How's it compared to Newcastle? <laughs> well, it's extremely different. Uh, 47 degrees. Um, it's absolutely boiling. Fortunate for us, playing condition-wise is fine because we're in air-conditioned stadiums. Um, so that side of it's fine. But leaving the hotel is during the day is, is horrible. You can't, you can't really um, walk around. We just, we've got a mall across the road and even walking from our hotel to the mall, it's blistering hot. Um, so you can't stand out there for more than five, 10 minutes um, unless you want an extremely good tan, which mm. <laughs> being in England, you, you don't really get the luxury of having that with your pasty white skin and things like that that I've uh, inherited off my mother. What's it like in those air-conditioned stadiums? Do they really work? They, they work superbly. Um, it's actually ridiculous. These new stadiums that they've put in, um, it is like walking out in England in like a 18-degree heat. It is, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to realise that it's 47 degrees outside of the, outside of the stadium. That's amazing. I, I couldn't, when they announced that, I couldn't believe that. I couldn't work out how it would work. I don't need to work out how it works if it, if it does how it does work. That's cool. There's some very smart people that have uh, obviously put this together and used the technology to get it working because I think a lot of people were very um, apprehensive of how they're going to make it work. But so mm. far, it looks like they've done a great job. So I was reading some reporting recently. Uh, it was looking at kind of the punishing travel that some footballers undergo. Let's talk about Neymar going around the world twice in a year. And I was thinking about you. You often play your international and club football on opposite sides of the world. So you must be putting some air miles in compared to the rest. Are you just quite good at adapting to different time zones, conditions, seasons? Can you just crack on with it? 
Um, yeah, I mean, it gets it gets easier when when you get older and you understand how your body works and just how flight works and things like that. Um, yeah, traveling back to New Zealand is, is tough. Traveling from New Zealand back to the UK is, is probably even tougher when you have to flick back to more time zones, especially when I go to New Zealand for only probably 10 days or something like that. So your body only just starts to react to New Zealand time zones and then all of a sudden you're going to go and switch it again. Um, yeah, it's, it's difficult, but it becomes part and parcel of, of the job and things like that. Um, over the years, you've just found your little knacks and tricks and sleep patterns that make it work and make it a bit better. Because um, unfortunately, we don't have the luxury of when we land to have four or five days to just get into a routine or anything like that. We're training the next day. Sometimes I arrive back into the UK on a Thursday morning um, and got a game Saturday. So it can be quite tough, but normally the sports scientists and the, the coaching staff at both New Zealand or in England where I've been, they're quite accommodating with that. And then after the game, they give me a day or two off to, to make sure I can flip back in or, or pick up where I need to. Mm -hmm. Another factor of those distances I was thinking about is that you're a senior player in the team. You're the vice captain of New Zealand. How do you find it being a leader in the team, but you might not see or play with your New Zealand teammates for months on end? It's, it's completely different from club football and that's what international football is good about um, especially being a Kiwi and a Kiwi setup it's we're not too driven by um, being professional being professionalism we, we like the laid-back chilled atmosphere because um, that's what Kiwis are we're, we're, we're laid back we're chilled we get on and that's the way we like our environment because that's the way we've been brought up and that's why when we come away to national teams everybody loves coming away because it's a breath of fresh air. You take away from the seriousness of club football, of it having to be precise, proper every single day, to going away with the national team and having a bit more freedom and relax. Still doing the hard work and the hard stuff on the pitch, but off the pitch, you're chilling with your boys, basically, and catching up with people that you've grown up with and had the same upbringing as you, and that's the best thing about coming away from internationals. Mm -hmm. Now, without getting ahead of ourselves, there's a very real prospect that you might be playing in your second World Cup this year. Last time around, 2010, you were much younger. I think youngest player in the squad, maybe. Um, what lessons did you take away from that about dealing for the biggest of big occasions? And not even necessarily on the pitch, but how you approach a tournament, how you prepare for it, and kind of how you just soak up the entire experience of being at a World Cup. Look, the, the difference with the 2010 World Cup was I was so young that... I was very naive to think like, oh, this happens every single four years for us. Um, I came into the international setup, went to the Confederations Cup, massive tournament, played in the qualifying uh, playoff match, massive game, won it. Went to the World Cup, played in every single game, came off the bench in every single game, didn't lose a game. I thought, God, international football's not easy, but going to be a fun route round, the, round for the rest of my career. Um, but then as, as time goes on, you go to the next playoff match and you, you lost that one and you lose the next one. You're thinking, gosh, this is a, a lot harder. And you start to appreciate what 2010 was and how big it was and um, how much of a, a stance it is on people's career and things like that over the years. Um, for me, I was too young to really appreciate it. Um, and that's why I've been so determined, especially in the last couple of campaigns, to get back to the World Cup because... 
I didn't get to experience it as much as I want. Didn't didn't get to take it in both off the pitch, on the pitch. I didn't get to apply my trade as, as well as I'd mm. want to. Now I'm in my prime. Um, making this one would be huge for for myself, this this country, um, and just football in general back in New Zealand. So I think that's what is motivating a lot of people, and especially myself in particular. How's it been the last few years um, with that? You've managed to uh, keep your uh, club football going through COVID, but um, New Zealand haven't played too many international matches, have they? Um, has that affected you guys coming back into the qualifying round for this World Cup? Um, I wouldn't say it's affected us. It's maybe hindered a bit, um, but we were lucky enough over the last year to play eight, nine games. Um, so it put us in good stead ready for this game. Um, but the, yeah, the two and a half years beforehand with COVID not being able to play, um, it's horrible and things like that. But that's what COVID was about. I mean, a lot of people were in worse positions than us. Um, if we had to suffer traveling around the world to, to play internationally, that's fine when people were going through a lot bigger things in life. Um, yes, club football continued. We were probably more the, the light at the end of the tunnel being put out there to say, like, look, we can see an end to COVID and things like that when you can watch things on the weekend. Um, people were sitting at home, not being able to work or anything like that, need some enjoyment in their lives. And that's why the Premier League continued. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was extremely difficult for everybody, uh, but it didn't really, didn't affect the national team. Obviously it would have given us a better, better bond together throughout the years if we could have had more games together, but that's life at the end of the day. You have to adapt no matter what's thrown in front of you. That point you make about it being something for people to watch when they're in lockdown as a fan, um, uh, it was it meant so much to me. It was awful having that break. Um, and I was surprised by how much it meant to me when it came back. And it, even though it was the middle of summer and it was all funny. Um, so thank you. Um, it was great. It was good for Manchester United as well. I formally picked up after that break. So that was good as well. I guess playing um, with no makes it easier for you boys. Yeah, I was at the last game before lockdown when we beat City 2-0 and I thought, here we go, it's happening. Um, and it was the worst time. <laughs> but yeah, normally yeah, we, we get a lot of sticks. So uh, maybe the no crowds there. Uh, uh, well, crowds coming back is probably why I've been so awful this season. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe. I look at the World Cup, speaking of the World Cup, I've checked the draw and the earliest New Zealand can play either England or Wales is in the semi-final. So I'm afraid one of us is going to have to settle for a third-place playoff. Um Sorry about that. I think if uh, we both get there, um, either way, I think we'll be happy with a with a tournament that that great. So, uh, um, gosh, if if that was the case, then I'd be extremely happy to, to have the chance of uh, beating a UK nation in in the semi finals of a of a World Cup. I think that'd be fantastic. I'd rather it's Wales than us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you um, you're not the only international footballer in your family. Your sister Chelsea has represented New Zealand as well, and at World Cups. Um, where did you and your sister both get this love of the game from, do you think? Oh, God. If you if you spoke to my family, my mum would tell you it's her. Um, coming from a woman that's never kicked a football in her life, never really <laughs> gone to a football match until she met my dad. Um, like I don't, I don't know where it came from. My dad played football back in New Zealand, um, not, a, not a massive level, but loved the game. And that's where I and my sister found the love for the game, I think. Um, just watching him on the sidelines, just wanted to be a part of it, something we could bond with our dad with. Um, that's where we got the love from. His brother Peter played football as well. He was the first one in the family to to, to kind of step away 
from rugby. Um, so it made it easier for my dad to play football and then it filtered down to myself and Chelsea. Um, yeah, that's where our love came from. It. And over the years, we, we played together on the same team, Chelsea and I, for since we were five up until I think it was 12, 13, when she had to split off and go into her own women's team. Uh, but we, we loved growing up together, playing in the same team, um, enjoying football together because that's what we loved and that's what we do love. Um, she went on to have a great career playing in the 17s World Cup, 20s World Cup, um, playing great football all the way up until she was, well, she still plays now, but she's, uh, I think around about 26, 27, she put it on the back burner to make sure um, her job in, in optometry uh, was was the forefront. Um, and now she's on to have a family, so it's fantastic. But football's always been part of her life. She lives it now probably more through me, watching me. Um, she's waking up at 3 a.m., 2 a.m., stupid hours in the morning to make sure she's watching every single game. Um, her and her husband, and now that another baby that's come into our life, Evie, um, she's, uh, she's waking up and watching everything. So, yeah, it's fantastic that football's been such a big part of our lives, both on and off the pitch. That's so lovely. Um, New Zealand, we with Australia, co-hosting the Women's um, World Cup next year, which is so exciting being here. I'm, I'm, I can't wait for it. Um, as a Kiwi, I mean, it must be awesome to see New Zealand hosting the highest level of football. Um, is that something you would have imagined growing up? You've spoken there about, um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the love of rugby in New Zealand. Would you have envisioned them, uh, New Zealand hosting a tournament like the World Cup? Um, probably not when I was growing up. Um, as I say, rugby was so dominant growing up. Um, especially when you get to 14, 15 and overpowers um, and overtakes. And it's what's broadcasted around New Zealand and uh, thrusted upon you with the league being so good and things like that. And everybody wanted to play in, in New Zealand and Australia for rugby. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, football normally takes a back burner in New Zealand, but it's great to see that the, the co-hosting of the World Cup next year for the women's game, it's going to be fantastic. I think it's going to be a perfect setup. Um great environment for the, for the women to showcase the talents and to showcase New Zealand and Australia as a, as a country as well. That, that point about rugby, I've heard you speak before in interviews about um, how as a kid, most of your peers played rugby. You stuck to your talents, you stuck to stay true to yourself and played football. Um, growing up in New Zealand, which leagues did you watch and which players did you idolise? Was it the domestic game or were you looking at South America, bits of Europe? For football-wise? Uh, for football. Football-wise, it's, it's always been the, the English Premier League. Um, I used to, all the Champions League or something like that, Champions League games were probably a bit easier to watch. Um, and my parents let me get away with it a bit more um, because <laughs> it was normally time zone, 12 hours difference. They play at 7.30 at night, 7.30 in the morning, perfect. Can get in a bit of it before I go to school, even if <laughs> on the big games, whereas the semifinals for Chelsea or something like that, that would take me in a little bit later and miss a little bit of the first class or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, used to love watching Chelsea growing up. Chelsea was, was a team as my dad was fortunate to be able to name my sister after. Mum kind of just overlooked that one, but changed the, la the last letter of the name. So it wasn't too bad. Uh, but dad's been a massive fan of Chelsea since he was uh, 20 when he moved over to England for a gap year, uh, became his team. And then it just filtered down to me. So I used to grow up watching them. Um, Didier Drogba was my hero growing up, Alan Shearer and things like that. So um, two of the best strikers to, to grace the Premier League. <laughs> my um, that point about the time difference, my colleagues may have noticed um, there are mornings where I'm not 
really on it and it's often because I've got the iPad next to my computer watching yeah United lose to whoever it is in the knockout stages um, <laughs> <laughs> at, um, at the age of 17 your burgeoning career took you to England um, had you spent much time in the UK before that not huge amounts um, had holidays and things like that to see my uh, my my mum's brother uh, Darren we used to go over and see him. We used to go over and see other parts of the family. Um, but most of mum's family, well, her mum came, uh, her dad came out to live with us in uh, New Zealand. He came out for a holiday. Loved it so much, and ended up staying and never going back. Um, but yeah, we used to go over on holidays probably every three or four years, something like that. Um, so I got to understand England a bit, but it wasn't as great as when I went over at 16 to. to really experience the lifestyle and the culture and how vastly different it is for a Kiwi boy to go over to England and things like that um, and, and change culture, even though it's a bit similar. Um, and as an adult, I'm sure it's a lot more similar these days, but as a 16-year-old kid, it was, it was completely different. I wanted to ask, what was the culture shock like for you at that age? What did you notice? My biggest one moving here to New Zealand was uh, how early the pubs closed. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> For me, the, the first one was was because uh, we wear bare feet in New Zealand everywhere. Um, and for people outside New Zealand or outside of Australia as well, they think that's so weird. Um, but for us Kiwis, um, it's just natural. Walk down to the shops, fine. Walk down to the dairy at the corner, fine. Bare feet, ride on your bike, bare feet. I remember one time, I think it was in the first couple of weeks, um, two of my best mates who are now Ash and Ash, um, they were in digs up the road from me. So we used mm -hmm. to walk up, I walk up to their house, pick them up and we walk, walk to the bus stop and then call the bus to training at 16 and things like that. And I remember one day I was rushing and uh, I ran out of the house, shoes in hand, bare feet on, just like running out the road to, to pick them up, pick them up and uh, was just walking up the road in bare feet. They're like, why the hell are you in bare feet? I was like, oh, look, I'll put, I'll put my shoes on when I'm on the bus. And he's like, no, we don't do that here in England. So what do you mean? And he's like, well, anything could be on the streets or anything like that. It could be glass, syringes. And I was like, yeah, well, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. It's, we do it all the time. And they're like, no, we don't do that over here. And then from there, then on, I had to had to put on my shoes no matter where I went because they just battered me for, for doing it. I'm slowly assimilating, but I'm still, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll wear flip-flops, thongs, but I won't, uh, I'm not quite barefoot yet. Give it two, two, two or three years and I'll be there, I reckon. There you go. You'll be a proper Kiwi then. Yeah. Oh. Um, with the football culture in England, um, we, was that a real shock to you as well? What were you expecting um, regarding the differences between England and New Zealand there? It was, it was hugely different. I mean, coming in, the, you're going into a professional environment where these, these kids have been involved with since they're 12 years old, eight years old, seven years old, especially even younger these days. Um, they've been a part of an academy set up and process for so long. They know how it works, how it ticks. And for me coming in, I used to train, yeah, I trained every day back in New Zealand and through different clubs and school teams and that. But it was all, it was never really as serious. It was all fun, get on, enjoy the game. Whereas now it was going into an environment where it was, no, this is work. This is a job now. Um, and you have to have to live and breathe it. And that's what I kind of had to take on board. And it took me six, seven months to really click into it. I remember the first six months I was there, never got a game, never played. Um, it was a tough environment. And then 
went back to New Zealand for Christmas, had a great time seeing friends, family. And then when I came back, something just clicked and changed and everything just took off in those six months before, before I made my international debut. That's really cool. Um, borders have reopened recently and loads of young Kiwis, uh, maybe a little bit older than you were, will be heading over to the UK on their OEs for the first time. Um, do you have any advice for them coming out to the UK? You see a lot of the UK, are there any unsung locations that you recommend them visit? Um, London is, without show of a doubt, in my opinion, the best spot. Um, I love London. I'd love to live there um, after my career, although taking my missus away from the, the northwest and Manchester <laughs> way will probably be a bit difficult. But um, I think England's got so much to offer. Um, the south coast is beautiful. Bournemouth, Brighton, um, down that way is fantastic. Uh, Manchester is like a, a mini London these days. I think it's fantastic. And to be fair, I've, I've fallen for, for Newcastle a bit now. It's got everything. It's got a city. It's got beaches. It's got countryside. And that's what I really like about it. Um, for young ones coming over, um, enjoy the time over here. Travel as much as possible. Travel around Europe. Go to see all the cities, the islands, the, the party destinations, especially if you're 18, 19, 20, go and enjoy all of it because there is some great times to be had out there. Um, and enjoy living in London because it is one of the best cities in the world. So you're right. Um, that point you made about um, travel, 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 um, you've played for quite a few clubs in England. Um, and I've I noticed that you've played for five clubs starting with B, Brighton, Barnsley, Birmingham, Bristol City, Burnley. I've done some research. I think you've played for the most clubs starting with the same letter compared to any player in world football. <laughs> I'm, I'm not surprised with that, to be fair. And four of them were in my first six clubs so it's a it's a weird one um i don't know why and how it worked out like that but when i went from west brom on loan i went to barnsley and then i went to brighton i was like okay that's a bit weird then birmingham and then bristol i was like gosh the first the next four clubs were, were, were bees it was weird um and then i had to break the trend and go to leicester to because it was just weird going to too many bees um, so yeah it was, it was weird how it worked out like that but that's how funny football can be and when you, when you moved halfway across the world, quite a young man, um, how did you stay focused and how do you stay happy at that age when you've been completely uprooted from your, from home and everything you know? I was extremely lucky that my mum came with me um, and with her being English, um, a Lewisham, Lewisham girl brought up um, back, in the, back in the days. Um, she's seen the rough times of, of London and things like that. Um, she was, be, she was able to bridge that gap between off-field and on-field, um, giving me my home lifestyles, my home comforts, um, and not having to deal with being in, in digs with digs people and things like that, um, homestays and that, because um, that's when it can be challenging. You're, you're coming into someone else's culture, home, environment, whereas mum made it, it in New Zealand or made it a New Zealand environment, but in England. Um, mm. So it made it, the transition so easy, so smooth. Um, all I had to deal with was football and um, the, the banter that goes on in the dressing room, which is completely different from what uh, Kiwi, Kiwi jokes and things are. What was it at that time that you missed the most about New Zealand? Uh, friends, family was huge. <laughs> Having to leave my sister behind um, when we're so pro close growing up. Um, my dad had to my dad stayed back, didn't have to, he, he wanted to stay back to make sure my sister transitioned into university um, well. 
um, which is a big thing. Uh, and I think my sister sacrificed a lot, sacrificed her parents to, to let me have a chance in my dream. Uh, she went years without having a mum or dad around um, to lean on that I could, like I could lean on when they were in England. Um, so um, I'm thankful for what she, she did for me in that sense. Um, but I've just missed her aunties, uncles, and friends, to be fair. And just the mm -hmm. lifestyle, being able to travel from, in, uh, from Auckland, go up to the Coromandel where we have friends and family, um, spend the weekend there from Friday to Sunday. Used to love doing that as a, as a family. What about now? Is there anything you miss particularly about New Zealand uh, as an adult? It's the, it's the environment, the lifestyle, the relaxedness of it. Um, it's, it's perfect. I love that chilled out, chilled out way. Um, mm. Sister's still back in New Zealand. Um, it's, it's horrible being over the other side of the world, especially now she's had baby Evie. Um, not being able to be a part of her life as, as much. Missed um, mm -hmm. out on a lot, but uh, also football's given us a lot. So that's the pros and, and cons of being in a professional environment. Um, but I wouldn't change it for the world. And when I retire, I'll have more than enough opportunity to spend it with her and the family and things like that. So um, there's good and bad sides to everything. Sure. I hope you don't retire for quite a long time. <laughs> I'm hoping I've got at least another six years in me. At least, I reckon so. <laughs> uh, I thought we'd close out with a quick-fire quiz, England versus, or, you know, the UK versus New Zealand, uh, yeah. one or the other. I'm going to shout the two options at you. You just say, first thing that comes to your head, which one you prefer. And we'll, uh, okay, quick fire, no I'll, problem. I won't announce the results uh, on the camera, but maybe afterwards we can toss them up and see where your heart lies. All right, sounds good. Okay. Cheese scone or Cornish pasty? Cheese scone. Ryan Giggs or Ryan Nelson? Ryan Nelson. Whitakers or Cabri? Whitakers. Wellies or Gumboots? Gumboots. 660 or Coldplay? Oh gosh. Coldplay. Summer Christmas or Winter Christmas? Oh God. Summer had, it came straight to me, Summer Christmas. Fijos or Strawberries? Fijos. Tynebridge or Auckland Harbour Bridge? Auckland Harbour Bridge. And finally, pavlova or sticky toffee pudding? Oh, God. Ah, sticky toffee. Oh, sticky. Is, there, is there any other kiwi pudding that could maybe beat sticky toffee pudding? No, no, pav is probably the best kiwi, kiwi, uh, kiwi dessert, but I don't know, sticky toffee pudding is, is up there with one of my favorites ever uh, especially if you get it right vanilla ice cream or custard I, to be fair I'm, I'm not, not too fussy as long as the the toffee sauce and everything like that is working well so yeah I'm a big fan of sticky toffee butter okay glad to hear that I hope you probably don't get to have many though <laughs> no that's that's the problem I have to pick and choose my times wisely but uh hopefully uh after this game when I'm on a holiday um I could have a couple it would be lovely Entire trailer. I can see that last one really, really pained you. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> it's, fine. It's, it's tough. Some of them come quite easily. And then you're thinking, I love them both. And I'm thinking, oh, what to do here? Yeah. Well, Chris, I think that's just about all we've got time for today. Thank you so much uh, for giving up so much of your important, valuable time at what is uh, a real crunch point for New Zealand football. We're all going to be cheering you on from Wellington. 
um, on Wednesday morning, I think for us, it's a 6 a.m. kickoff, so I'll be up nice and early. Um, all the best for it. Um, good luck and thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Paris, and uh, take care and, and uh, speak to you soon. Yes, thanks. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review as it helps others find us. And remember, you can subscribe to us by searching for Tea with the High Commission on iTunes or Spotify. Thank you. Kakiti anō.